All right, Riverhouse, let's uh, stand on our feet. I'm going to read the Bible. Who is grateful to be in the house of God tonight? Me too, me too. All right, I'm going to read a few verses out of Matthew 5. We stand to give honor and recognition publicly that this is the most authoritative thing spoken in this place tonight. I'm going to start in Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And lastly, Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word. In the ministry of your word and Holy Spirit, you tell us in John 16 that Jesus, you say you have many more things to say to us, but you're sending the Spirit who will take what you're speaking and disclose it to us. And so we thank you for the ministry, Holy Spirit, tonight of the word of the Lord into this place. And we humble ourselves, God, and ask that Jesus, you will speak your word into this house. Just take a few a few moments and just create space, just become present right here, right now. You tell us, God, that if any of us lacks wisdom to ask in faith and we will receive it. You say in John 14 that if we love you, you will come and disclose yourself to us. So maybe just ask in faith. We ask in faith, God. Disclose yourself to us tonight in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You look wonderful tonight. I heard one right back at you. My wife told me I needed a haircut today. That's a joke. I told her I needed one, so... She'd get mad at me after and say, you make me look like I'm hard on you in front of the whole church. She's my scapegoat, all right? <laughs> Praise God. I'm already in trouble and we're 30 seconds into the message. <laughs> I'm on a lower stage. It kind of feels nice. I'm slightly nervous, though, because this is plywood and it's kind of sticky. So if I end up on my face, that's just divine humor. But God will help me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right. We have been in the Beatitudes. I have been leading us through the Beatitudes, I think, since December. So we are to the penultimate final, the final countdown, per se, of the Beatitudes. And just to reintroduce them to you, the Beatitudes, I think, are prime real estate in the word of God. 
in the sense that Jesus is articulating this kingdom manifesto. He's been on the earth for 30 years at this point. He's using our language to articulate the way of God's kingdom. And he's condensing it to this, these statements about reality, saying this is the way of God. This is the author of life, the one who created everything we know to be. This, this is what life is. So our ears should be really tuned to what Jesus is articulating here. And again, he's not making commands or statements about how we should live our life. He's simply saying, this is what reality is. You're going to have to figure out and wrestle with what that, what that means. So we have been on this journey. I pray it's been fruitful. And we are going to wrap this up and then let him continue to where he's going from this. Uh, in the weeks to come, but with uh, this blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Yay. I, I actually believe this is, this is a message that the joy of the Lord will be revealed through. So let's shake off that seriousness and heaviness and let the Lord bring us a paradigm shift of what Jesus is talking about when he says, you are blessed if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So Holy Spirit, lead us into a revelation of your word tonight. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is the qualifier of this is blessed. Not, you're not just blessed if you're persecuted. You're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Say righteousness sake. Uh, that is very different than being persecuted for stupidness sake. I've been persecuted for stupidness sake before. Is anybody else in this room? I've never shared this publicly, but my freshman year of college, I was in a bad place. I was super insecure in life. And uh, I had a parking pass uh, at Point Loma Nazarene University. And they don't give those to freshmen because I was on the golf team. And then I only played a semester on the golf team because it was an idol in my life. And the Lord was finally stripping it from my white knuckle clenched hands. But I still had a parking pass because I was on the golf team the first semester. And then I wasn't going to use the car because I didn't know, you know, that would probably be the right thing to do. And anyways, some people in my dorm wanted to buy the parking pass from me so that they could park their car on campus. And I was just, I don't know why, I wasn't a peacemaker yet, so I didn't just say, no, I'm not going to do that. They just pushed and pushed and pushed, and they're like, why aren't you going to do that? I was like, because I'm integrous, okay? And just said this statement, and oh boy, the flames just went from there, and they didn't, st they could, those, those groups of guys, they couldn't stand me for the next four years on this small Christian university. And, and they'd make chirps at me about integrity, this, integrity, that. And it, I, I was just self-righteous to the core. I didn't even make that sound as bad as it was, but I egged them on. I was like, because I, I have integrity, and you don't. Uh, I, I was persecuted. I was persecuted for the next four years. Those guys didn't like me. Every time I saw them, I could just tell they just didn't like me. And I probably wouldn't have liked me either because I was getting persecuted for stupidness sake. I should have just said, no, I'm not going to do it. I want it for myself. Instead of doing that, I was stupid. Another story of stupidness sake, my brother and I were in Israel years ago, and uh, this missionary put us up in this flat at one point that was in the middle of a super orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And he forewarned us very explicitly and said, do not do proselytizing here. Uh, we've had missionaries here before. They've went out proselytizing on the streets, evangelizing, and there's a radical synagogue just down the street from you, and they were planning to go and kill those people who were proselytizing. So he said, just don't. This is how, this, you got to learn the ways here. Uh, this is a super radical neighborhood. So my brother and I thought the way that we would proselytize is that we had about a thousand stickers that said Yeshua on it. They were about the size of my Bible, and we would sneakily take the back of the sticker off, and we were putting them on people's cars as we'd walk down the street. Be like, let's just put the bumper sticker Yeshua on their cars, trash cans, kind of anything that we could see in the neighborhood. Like, that's going to preach the good news to them. Thank God we didn't get seen because we were at least sneaky. But if we would have been seen, we would have been persecuted for stupidness sake. I can promise you that. There's nothing righteous about it. I got only a quarter of you are laughing. So maybe that's one of those jokes that'll hit you later in the night, you know, like, oh, that is stupid. It was stupid. A lot of people get persecuted for stupidness sake. And I'm not saying people are stupid. I'm just saying we do stupid things sometimes. 
And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not giving this full-on license that you're blessed anytime people have issue with you or persecute you. He's talking about a specific brand of persecution, which is when you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That's what we're after. Amen? Again, these Beatitudes are in two quartets. The first quartets go, the, the first four statements are this state of emptiness, poverty, mourning, uh, meekness, hunger, to a, to a state of being filled, and you get filled with righteousness. The next four are then the effect of that righteousness in our lives. We become merciful, we become pure, we become peacemakers, and then we become persecuted for that righteousness. So if we want a working definition of righteousness, we actually have to go to the Beatitudes themselves. So we can't disconnect this blessed or the persecuted from the, the reality that Jesus is introducing throughout the whole Beatitude discourse. So if we want to understand righteousness, we've been working on righteousness the last seven messages. We've been getting this explanation, this working active reality that Jesus is disclosing that this is the way of the kingdom. This is what it looks like. So Jesus is saying, you're blessed if you're persecuted for my sake. You're blessed if you're persecuted because you are walking in the kingdom and that kingdom reality that you are bringing forth into the world is being challenged. You're blessed. You're blessed. So this is what we're after. We want to step into a reality and even a revelation of this blessing because I think probably of all of these beatitudes, this is the hardest one to get a revelation of how blessed you really are if you are persecuted for Jesus' sake. This is awesome. This is an awesome invitation. So sometimes it's easy to discern the difference between being persecuted for righteousness sake and being persecuted for stupidness sake based on your external behavior, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can be doing the same thing, the same behavior on the outside, but the kingdom is not an outside-inside reality. It's an inside-outside reality. So we will only know if we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake if we are being internally motivated by the Holy Spirit. This meekness, right? He's leading us. There's mercy flowing from my heart. I'm a peacemaker. I'm sowing from peace in peace. I'm stepping into the chaos, the, the brokenness of life with a place of, with a heart of peace. I'm pure in heart, right? These are how Jesus is describing righteousness. So we can't necessarily look at the outside to determine, well, that's being persecuted for righteousness sake, and that's not being persecuted for righteousness sake. We have to actually look to the inside to get a, to, to really know how, what does this consist of? What's the substance of this thing? And this is the indicator, I believe, you know when you've stepped into being persecuted for righteousness sake because of two things. You're drinking a cup of suffering and a cup of joy simultaneously. And so when you are suffering for righteousness sake, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, you're, you're drinking wine mixed with myrrh. It's joyful and it's suffering. It's painful at the same time. This is one of, to me, a clear tell indicator that you're suffering for righteousness sake. If you are going through persecution and people are upset with you and all you're experiencing is pain, you're not in the full revelation of righteousness sake. If, you're, if, you're, if, if you have this mindset of like a hardened heart, it's like, oh, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people say about it. Like, that's, that's a hardened heart. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's not a heart of mercy and peace and love. So we need this litmus test. How do I know that I'm persecuted for righteousness sake? Because to be honest with you, there's been times in my life when I thought I was being persecuted for righteousness sake that all of a sudden the veil comes off my life and I realize I was just being persecuted because I was being ignorant or I was being prideful or I was doing things that were really not marked by the love of God. But then sometimes I think we go through hard things and we're being persecuted and we question if God's even pleased with us because it kind of throws us off kilt and we don't even know and we start self-examining and, oh, I don't even know if I'm doing it right. Nobody likes me when the reality is we are suffering for righteousness sake and there's a joy that we can step into that we don't even know about. So it's a cup of suffering and a cup of joy. 
And when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, when you're really grounded in the way of the kingdom, you're walking in it. And even as you're experiencing opposition, you're experiencing the pain of that and the joy of that simultaneously. It's one of the ways you know you're really walking in what Jesus is disclosing. He's he's disclosing, again, reality. You know you've stepped into this reality when you're experiencing both of those things. And so I want to go on a little bit of a journey to understanding the pain of persecution and understanding the joy of persecution. And I, I want us to step into an acceptance that there is pain in being a Christian. We're actually promised persecution, but then step into a deeper revelation of the joy of persecution so that we can get God's perspective on this whole thing so that we can no longer walk in fear, but we can walk in this deep confidence and a security And I'd even say a rest, knowing that we're going to be persecuted, but not being afraid of it. Actually expecting it in our lives, but knowing, having having a heart revelation that we can walk through this and actually thrive and flourish. And that it's not a marking of something being wrong, but it's actually a marking of being blessed. That we could actually learn to love it. Okay. So let's look at persecution. There's two types of persecution. And what we typically think of when we think of persecution and the persecution that Christians experience, we think of the really you know, terrible stories that are happening today. If you've heard about what's happening in Mozambique, there's physical persecution, uh, different parts of the Middle East, Afghanistan right now. There are horrible things taking place to Christians. There's physical violence persecuting the name of Jesus, persecuting the church. Though this is probably the most thought of, if we were to just kind of say the statement and get a poll of what we think of when we think of persecution, physical harm that is very valid that's you know obviously jesus himself was physically persecuted in the form of crucifixion paul was physically persecuted in the form of being beaten with rods and stones and all types of terrible things this would be the minority of christian persecution not all christians experience physical persecution but that's a reality the other reality which i think is the majority of christian persecution it's emotional relational or spiritual or social aggression pain rejection violence but it's not physical it's emotional relational spiritual we see this in jesus's life and with the religious community we see it with his own family we see it within his disciples so there's this this non-physical violent, but it's emotionally violent. And this is right in Matthew 5. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, falsely say all kinds of evil things against you. It's talking about social, relational realities. You're going to be spoken of against. And the old adage, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never harm me. How many people think that's true? How many people would rather be punched in the face than slandered behind your back? Physiologically, our our brains, the greatest pleasure that we experience as humans is the pleasure of of connection, intimacy, and the greatest pain and the greatest fear that we have as humans is rejection, the loss of intimacy. So persecution, whether it is physical or it is spiritual, emotional, relational, it's very painful. It's a painful, unpleasant reality It's an experience of pain and rejection in some form. That's what it boils down to. Persecution is being rejected in some capacity, in some way, by other people. And there's three, scripturally if we look, there's three different uh, places that we experience persecution as Christians. And we'll look at the life of Jesus himself. The first place that Christians experience persecution is actually in their own families. Jesus says it's, you know, it's only in his hometown that he receives no honor, can't really minister. And in his own hometown is where they lead him to the brow of the hill in Nazareth to try to push him off the edge. Jesus in John 7, his brothers come to him somewhat mockingly saying, why aren't you going up to the feast? 
everybody that wants to make a great name for themselves, they'll go and they'll do, they'll do public miracles. And then it says, because his brothers did not yet believe in him. So Jesus is experiencing rejection from his own brothers. And then Jesus is ultimately betrayed by one of his best friends. Who, though that wasn't blood family, Judas Iscariot was his spirit family. It was his closest people on earth. And he was persecuted. He was rejected. There's, so the first place we experience rejection as Christians, not necessarily the first place, but one of the places, and we don't necessarily experience rejection from all the places I'm going to talk about, but this is one of the areas. Uh, Justin preached on this last week. I preached on it the week before, a parallel passage where Jesus says, I'm bringing a sword, and it's going to divide families. There's something of the message of the kingdom that is confrontational, and it can cause conflict even within the family. The next place that Christians experience persecution from is within the religious community itself, the church. This is uncomfortable, but it's true. Most people that have been used by God in a great way in their day were highly persecuted by the church. A.W. Tozier, not very many people liked him. John Wesley turned the church upside down in England, and they didn't like him. Uh, it, this is just, you know, history honors what those in the present often persecute. And there's this story, I believe it's John 12, it's the story of the man, yeah, it is John 12, the man born blind, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how he got healed because he was born blind, and, you know, this is never in the scriptures that we've seen this story before. And the Pharisees are examining this man in John 9, and they say, you know, we know where Moses came from, but we don't know where Jesus came from, right? And there's something of novelty about Jesus at this point, and it's, I mean, you've, we've all seen those adoption curves, right? There's the first early adopters. Were there any early adopters of Bitcoin in here? I really hope you tithe, because you're probably rich, you know? And, and then there's the next one, you know, like we've all seen that like phase. I, don't be offended by that. That was just a, a wishful thought, you know, from a pastor. Um, right, but there's, this, there's the adoption curve. And when things are new, they're often persecuted. Jesus was novel at this point. Right? So he's rejected by the religious community. And by and large, Jesus, where Jesus experienced the brunt of persecution in his life was from within the religious community itself. The Pharisees, the Sadducees on multiple occasions say he has a demon. He is filled with Beelzebul. That's how he's doing his miracles, which was the prince of the demons. Uh, and uh, Matthew 10, Jesus says, you know, if... If they say the disciple's not going to be above the teacher, if they say that I have a demon, they're probably going to say the same thing about you. The modern lingo would be that Jesus was running a cult. In Hebrews 12, I believe, verse 13, no, 31, my dyslexia. It says that Jesus, it's referring to Jesus as the scapegoat. And it says that Jesus, in order to sanctify the people, he suffered outside the camp. Which what they did in the Old Testament was they would bring the scapegoat. The priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat that all the sin of the community would come upon the scapegoat. And then the scapegoat would be ostracized and sent in the wilderness to die. In the same way, Jesus became the scapegoat the religious community laid hands on him. Golgotha was just outside the gate of the city, and Jesus suffered outside the gate in order that he would sanctify us. But then it says, we must therefore in the same way join him and suffer with him outside the gate. Which is speaking, that, that's speaking of the gate of the city of Jerusalem, the people of God. So there's something of the persecution that arises within the religious community. And this is because the way of the kingdom is constantly, any time the, the people of God veer to the left or veer to the right or start to allow idolatry within the, the, the experience of worship, when it gets mixtured, the way of the kingdom will confront that. And God is constantly renewing his expression to his people, because if we become static, 
in our walk with him, if we no longer, if we forsake the pilgrimage and we're no longer willing to change and be bent and to be molded from glory to glory into his image and we stay, become static, that staticness will get challenged. And Jesus challenges that. He challenges the idolatry that had been woven into the people of God, the Jewish people. And God still does this today within the, the church itself. So persecution from the family, persecution comes from within the religious community. And then lastly, persecution comes from the world. And Jesus was crucified by the Roman Empire. They beat him, mocked him, scourged him, and crucified him because they didn't understand him. And ultimately, he threatened their power. And all throughout the history of the church, the, the church has been uh, you know, challenged by the empires of the world. It has challenged the empires of the world. And there's been persecution because of that. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking, I guess. I think that most young people, Gen Z, and anybody under 18 years old today, <laughs> it's because I'm preaching really good. <laughs> One of those technology demons. <laughs> anybody under the age of 18 years old today knows what it means to be persecuted if you have any association publicly with Jesus in the school systems, you're looked down upon like you're this living in the Stone Age type person. And there's all these labels and associations, and there's just a cultural persecution because we are not living in a Christian nation. We're living in an idolatrous empire. And I'm not saying that there aren't beautiful things. There are beautiful things about this nation. But it is no longer a nation under God. And so there is the external persecution that comes for professing the name of Jesus in the midst of Babylon. So two types of persecution. There's physical persecution. There's spiritual, emotional, relational persecution. There's persecution that we may experience from within the family, persecution that we may experience from within the religious community, persecution that we may experience from the world. It doesn't really matter where you experience the persecution from. The point is you will. We're promised that we will promised, but we're also told we're blessed. We're blessed. So this sounds really heavy. I'm just trying to articulate, no, this is painful. All of it's painful and we're blessed. <laughs> like so blessed. So blessed. So let's allow the Lord to bring us into a revelation of the blessing of this tonight and get a paradigm shift of why everything I've just talked about is actually really good news. If I can do that, God is surely with me. <laughs> Song of Songs is this uh, really beautiful, artistic, poetic book it has, uh, it's ripe with all this uh, symbolism and imagery, and it revolves around this story of a bridegroom pursuing a bride. We know this to be a picture of Jesus's pursuit of the church, and that's the context that I want to kind of bring us into it tonight to get a revelation of why we're blessed if we are persecuted. So this story starts with this bridegroom, Jesus, coming to pursue a bride that symbolically we find in a place of shame. One of the first things she says is that she is, uh, she's dark but lovely. So she's speaking to this, that there's something dark, there's, a, there's shame, there's brokenness, but she's lovely, and the bridegroom, Jesus, comes and begins to woo her. This is a prophetic picture of every single story of, of our stories with Jesus. We didn't love him first, but he loved us when we were enemies of him. When we were in the darkness of our own sin, he came and he began pursuing us. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that Jesus, like the Father, God, the Trinity, they bankrupt heaven to come to us. Right? Every other religion on earth, it basically says, this is how you set the table in hopes that God will come dine with you one day. But Christianity, God does everything. 
God sets the table. God humbles himself. God comes to us in our brokenness. He sets the table and says, I want you to dine with me. So, so Jesus comes and he begins to pursue this bride and he meets her right where she's at and he begins to love her. In chapter 2 of this, he comes and he says, I want you to come away with me up to the mountains. And she poetically says, no. She says, turn away and be like a deer on the mountain. And she rejects him. Jesus is not easily, you know, he's not insecure, so he keeps coming back. But we find out in chapter 4 why she would reject this invitation. And this is why. He says, the bridegroom says in chapter 4, he defines the mountain. He says, I'm going to go my way to the mountain of myrrh. The mountain of myrrh. Say myrrh. What is myrrh, Jordan? Myrrh was an aloe that they found in those days. It would weep down a tree. So when a tree was wounded, it would, it would pour out and they would get myrrh from the wounds of a tree. It would weep down. It would look like tears running down a tree. So myrrh was a picture of suffering in that day. This is why the wise men brought myrrh as one of the gifts to Jesus at his birth. It was a foretelling of the suffering that he would one day do on our behalf. Jesus was a man of myrrh. He would climb the mountain of myrrh, which is the mountain of suffering love, poetically. Stay with me. So Jesus is pursuing. He meets this bride in her brokenness, begins to love her. Then he says, I want you to come with me up the mountain of suffering love. She says, no, turn. You go and be like a deer on the mountain yourself. So chapter 5, follow me now. He's continuing to pursue despite this bride's reluctance to follow, to her, to follow him to a place that seems uncomfortable to follow him to a place that seems painful. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 4, My beloved extended his hand through the opening. My feelings were aroused for him. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh. So this picture of Jesus pursuing, we sang about his nail-pierced hands tonight. He's one who drips with myrrh, and he's, he's pursuing, and now the bride's experiencing. She's getting these tastes. My hands, my hands are experiencing this liquid love, this suffering love, this love of Jesus that's being pursued. And so she's aroused. She wants to come and pursue. So she says she gets up. The connotations that she's sleeping. She opens to the beloved. She said, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I couldn't find him. I called him, but he didn't answer me. So now the bride is, it's, she's, she's starting to pursue the bridegroom, right? Our relationship with Jesus starts with his pursuit of us, but there's a big shift that takes place of maturity when all of a sudden we've been pursued and now we start saying, I, I'm going to now pursue you. You've loved me and met me and spoken my language and loved me with my love language, but now I'm starting to be in love with you and I want to know the way you speak. I want to see the way that you are. I want to, I want to meet you on your level. I want to come to, to you. She's seeking. She's pursuing. And then watch what happens in this. The watchman who made the rounds in the city. So she's walking through the city. She's seeking the beloved. The watchmen find her. And then it says, they struck me and wounded me. The guards of the walls took away my shawl from me. So the bride's wounded. She's persecuted because of her love for the beloved. As she's persecuted, this is what she says. She says, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, will you tell him I'm lovesick? So she's wounded, she's lovesick, then she gets challenged by a chorus, poetic chorus from the community. What kind of beloved is your beloved? Most beautiful among the women. What kind of beloved is your beloved that you would adjure us like this? You'd speak to us like this. So she's wounded, 
She's challenged. And then she responds with worship. I loved what Johnny said tonight. We can worship from love, but there's something deeper when we worship even through the pain. And she worships and does this admiration. My beloved is dazzling, outstanding among 10,000. And she goes on and on. His lips are like lilies. They drip with liquid myrrh. Right? This, this suffering love was wooing, making love sick, this bride. What's taking place here is that the bride's saying yes to the invitation. I will climb the mountain of myrrh. I will climb the mountain of suffering love so that I can know you as you are. Why are we blessed if we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness? Because every persecution that we experience is an invitation to climb up the mountain of myrrh to know the crucified one. There is a depth of union with Jesus that we can only experience when we know him in his suffering. We cannot relate to what he did for us on the cross until we have walked through our own persecution for his name. Jesus comes to us and he can relate with us completely. He's a high priest who is tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He knows how to relate with every single thing we've ever gone through in our life. But there is a part of his heart that we will never be able to relate with until we have walked through suffering of our own. Until we have suffered for the sake of righteousness. And in that suffering, we enter into a union with him that disposes us, it exposes us to a joy that you simply cannot find on planet earth. This is what Paul is articulating when he says, I count everything loss for the sake of knowing him. It's all rubbish. It's all filthy. It's all nothing just to know him. To know him in his suffering and to know him in his resurrection. It's Paul saying, I have suffered much at the hands of many, but none of it matters because I found the pearl of great price. I know Jesus Christ. I know him. John 15, the branch that bears fruit is the branch that abides in the vine. But this is what we forget, right? We're not the natural branches. We were the branches grafted in to the crucified vine. And the way a branch is, is grafted is through the mutual wounding of the vine and the branch. The branch has to be cut and the vine has to be cut. And it's in the wounds that the grafting of union takes place. Why are we blessed if we're persecuted for righteousness sake? Because the wounds of the words or the pain or the rejection or whatever it may be in whatever form it comes, those wounds are the place through which I can worship and say, you are worthy. My beloved is outstanding among 10,000. You are the one I worship. You are worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. And in that place, of pressing in, of feeling the pain, we come into the joy of attaching to Jesus. And it's a joy that outweighs and outlasts and overpowers the suffering of this life. We are promised suffering, but we are also promised joy. How do you know you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness? Because you've drank the cup of suffering and joy. Your heart is not hardened to the pain, no, because you're loving the world with an open heart. There's none of this hardness and self-protection. I don't care what those people think about me. No, no, it wounds. They struck me and they wounded me and I cry and it hurts and I bleed. But I know him. I know him. And this is amazing. You don't just get to know him. You don't just get to be 
overcome by this myrrh, this suffering love of Jesus, this fragrant oil that just overwhelms. You actually get to become suffering love. It actually transforms you so that you can become a living embodiment of Matthew 5.44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Loving those that are literally yelling crucify. Crucify. Forgiving those that are mocking him and saying, if you're the son of God, command the angels to take you down. Dallas Willard says the height of spiritual maturity is when spontaneous love for your enemies and those who persecute you flows out of your heart. Why are you blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness sake? Yes, you get to know him but you get to become like him. It is impossible to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you unless you know him and have become like him. But the day that you can love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you is the day that you are free. And nothing in this life can control you. We've been convinced that power looks like being able to punish those who wrong you. That is not being powerful. Punishing those who wrong you actually says you have the power to pervert the way that I'm gonna to respond to you. Power says I will love you no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what takes place, I will be who I am to you. I will be like the one that I've become like. I will be like Jesus to you. That's power. You can, take, you, you, can, you can take my life. You can take my money. You can take, you can slander my reputation. You can stab me in the back. You can do whatever you want and say whatever you want, but I will manifest love to you. That's power. That's Jesus. It did not matter what took place. Jesus was relentlessly himself. Man, this is so good. This is so joyful. It is a cup of suffering, but it is a cup of joy. This is the disciples in Acts 5.41. When they testify to the name of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the ones that they were scared to death of a few months earlier. And they look at them and say, We'll do our best to obey everything you say, but we cannot deny his name. They flogged them, and it says they went away rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy to suffer for the name. This is Paul and Silas in the Philippian prison, in the inner prison, in a dark prison, in the middle of the night, having been flogged and beaten with bloody, sore, wounded backs. Chained, the discomfort, the physical pain would have been horrific. Rotting in a dirty, dark inner prison in the middle of the night, rejoicing to the Lord and worshiping. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great, for they persecuted the prophets of old in the same way. This is Paul writing the book of Philippians in prison, and the theme of the whole book is rejoice. <laughs> it's a cup of joy. Whew. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We do not have to be afraid of persecution. We're promised it. We can just accept right now. It's going to happen. People are going to misunderstand you. Some people are going to persecute you on purpose. Some people are going to do it. They don't even know they're going to do it. We just have to accept that it is and then recognize that those people are not our enemies. Those people are just the invitation that God's using to draw us up that mountain further up and further in to that great, joyful, suffering heart that is Jesus and finding what the men and women of old found themselves. That is the reality of the kingdom of God. <laughs> now we have to wrestle with what that means for our lives. And that's the hard part. Uh, I'm going to pray for us in a minute, but before I do, I feel there's one group of what the Lord just, this is the sense I had as I prayed on this word of how the, uh, I was to minister this word is that there's some of you that have experienced a lot of criticism, rejection, slander, misunderstanding, whatever it may be in your life. It may have come from your family, from the religious community, from, from the world, whatever it may be, maybe something else. Um, but your heart's been hardened by it. There's like walls that you have up. And I just have a sense that tonight there's a cup of joy for you. There's a cup of joy, and uh, you can open to that. And I just, just a sense it's like we can let the walls down, and there's pain too. Like we can experience the pain. We're not doing anything to ourselves to pretend like it doesn't hurt, but that there's joy. Um, and so I'm just, don't know exactly know how to do this, but. Yeah, if, if that's you, maybe just stand. Yeah, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for every heart, God, that's standing right now. And we thank you, God, for the cup of your joy. And we just ask right now that you would pour out your liquid myrrh upon these hearts, God. That you would just lavish, 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 lavish with love. And we bless what you're doing. I bless what you're doing in every heart in this place. We just say, come Holy Spirit and minister the presence and the love of Jesus to every heart, God. Soften the hard places. Soften the hard places. And pour out the cup of joy. God, let, let each one take a, a drink from a cup of joy. Lord, I lift up this whole community. Lord, and I just thank you, God, for the blessing that is available to each one in this room. And we just say yes, God. We say yes to the cup of suffering and the cup of joy. I feel like there may be space for some of you that want to say yes to Jesus, that I'm going to climb that mountain of myrrh to just respond, whether it be coming forward, whether it be kneeling at your chair, whether it be standing up. Just if there's a response in your heart, it's not, it's not for me. It's just for him. It could be little. It could be big. 
but just respond. And Lord, we just, I just bless what you're doing. God, I bless the invitation that you're giving. I bless the paradigm shift that you're bringing to hearts in this room. God, that perfect love is driving out fear. And we're no longer looking at persecution, but we're looking upon the crucified one. We're looking upon you, Jesus, and that you are reframing our understanding of what it means to suffer and to suffer well. So I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are at work powerfully in this room, that your word does not return to you void, but that you are drawing us into a deeper realization of reality. No matter how uncomfortable it may be, we just say we trust you, God. We trust you, God. If you're on the ministry team, you can come forward. And uh, we just going to create a space. Johnny's going to play guitar. And if you want to receive prayer, uh, you're welcome to receive prayer. If you want to sit and be with the Lord, you're welcome to sit and be with the Lord. If you want to go, go and be blessed and walk forth in his kingdom this week. Um, but I'm just going to let the team get forward. And then if you want prayer, then maybe everybody just stand up. Now just pray the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you, that he'd lift his countenance towards you and give you peace. And that as you go, you will go forth in the blessing and the favor of the Lord. Uh, if you want to receive ministry, if things are stirred up in your hearts, I just want you to invite you to come forward right now. Maybe just, just start coming and receive ministry um, from different members of the team. Let's just let them come forward. Yeah, just come forward. And then uh, as people are coming, uh, we'll respect what's taking place here, but you're blessed to go. So bless you, church. We'll see you next week.